Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of VI Shots. My name is Michael Ivaliotis and this is the podcast devoted to the world of LabVIEW. With each episode, I bring you interviews, discussions, and share with you ideas for how you can take your LabVIEW development to the next level. Well, thank you all for joining me for this third episode of the VI Shots podcast. Today, I bring you an interview I did with uh, Justin Gores, who is a senior engineer and product marketing manager at JKI. But before we get into the interview, I'd like to play, with, play for you an audio clip I recorded a few weeks ago at the National Instruments CLA Summit, which took place in Austin, Texas, March, between March 7th and 8th. I was there with Justin attending this awesome event. Um, Justin did a presentation where he shared how JKI does inter-process communication. So I'm playing this clip actually uh, directly from my iPhone. And uh, this is actually uh, an interesting, um, a cool idea. I don't know if anyone's thought about this, but you can actually use the voice memo feature on your phone and just uh, use that for recording audio at any, any conference or uh, seminar you may attend. So a little bit of background. Um, Justin had, some, uh, had, been, had been battling some technical issues with the event structure. And when I interview Justin, he'll uh, go into more detail about this. But this is just right before Justin discovers at the CLA Summit that why he's having this problem. And it's actually someone from the audience that points that out. So let's, let's take a listen. What this means, or one other aspect of this is public events are inherently one to many, right? You can generate, you generate the event, but anybody can register for those, for events from, anybody can register for that event. And as I think should be clear, the process VI ha doesn't know who these guys are or how many of them are up there are, or if they exist at all. Um, one cool feature of the uh, LabVIEW user event backend system is that basically when you pass that, that cluster of, of user event refnums into a user event registration node and then hook that into, a, into, a, into an event structure, um, any, any event refnums that don't have, correspond, don't have a corresponding case in the user event are basically deallocated in the background. So you can, you can wire that, you can, you can attach that wire for all of the event refnums, and the ones that you don't use don't create bloat or leaks or process overhead because they're just not, they're just not generated like magic. <laughs> just have to uh, understand that they reset the timeout count. They do what? They reset the timeout count, even though they aren't handling instructions. <laughs> is that why my event structure isn't timing out? They do? <laughs> What? <laughs> okay. Wait, what? what? Say again? Um, okay. What, we need to stop the Stephen, What Stephen suggested is that if you have if you have a user if you have a, an event structure that's registered for sorry if you have a cluster of we'll do it with two two user events wired into an event structure. But the event and the event structure has a case to handle one of them, but not the other. And then some somewhere else, something else generates the other event, the one you're not registered for. That event won't be handled here. But he's saying it will reset the timeout counter on that user event. Yes. 
Feature of LabVIEW <laughs> that I could just only create create a frame for the things I wanted to receive, and and that I thought something really cool was happening. And actually, furthermore, I would I would suggest that that's a really hard behavior for me to figure out because all I have is an event structure in my code with a timeout value attached to it that never times out and I have no way of expecting the state queue to find out what's happening. And we already put that. Yeah. Okay, so having played that, I introduce to you Justin. Hello, Justin. Hey, Michael. <laughs> so I hope you heard all that. I, I did hear all that. I remember it as though it were, I remember it as though it were two weeks ago. And and that's why that's why everyone should come to the CLA summit. Everyone who's a CLA. Case closed. <laughs> Case closed. That was that was a watershed moment in in my LabVIEW career right there. It was it was a whole series of dominoes that fell just with this offhand comment that someone else made that just clicked. And and I'd like to mention uh, just for the record that it was Dean uh, Sesher Schmidt from Sim Industrial Systems that was in the audience. Yeah, I and, called him Stephen, but but yeah. I misread his <laughs> I misread his name tag. Sorry, Steen. But uh, basically, Steen was nonchalantly, you know, just laying back and saying, "Yeah, you can do that, but you just have to understand that they reset the timeout." And you're like, "What?" <laughs> and now I do understand. Um, and then after that, uh, you know, a whole, whole slew of discussions ensued, which goes on and on and on. But um, uh, actually that night and that the next day as well. So, yeah, it, it actually turned into a very interesting discussion that got into sort of language semantics and and how the the core of LabVIEW works and um, all kinds of neat stuff. And it turned into a pretty cool discussion on Lava, too. So, I, I no longer have an opinion on it. I'm I've recused myself from what is right or wrong. I just want to, I just want to have proper expectations. So I mean, I guess this is a, a good, uh, a good advertisement for the CLA summit. I mean, I guess you got a lot out of it. I, I absolutely got a lot out of it. I wasted more hours dealing with that bug prior to the summit, almost than I spent at the summit in its entirety. Um, I lost a lot of. There was a lot of head scratching and, and several several new dents in my forehead from from hitting hitting it on the desk, dealing with that. But the CLA summit took care of it. So um, you you presented uh, basically how JKI does um, interprocess communication. Can you, I guess, uh, wrap that up in a nutshell as to what what this what it what that entails? 
Sure. So the theme of the CLA summit this year was interprocess communication. And uh, the, the, the motivation for that was basically that we're all CLAs and we all have these different templates that we've all developed for, for communicating information back and forth in highly parallel, modular, large applications that we develop. JKI has a set of templates. Um, I didn't develop them. They've sort of grown organically within the organization over the last several years for doing this. And our design is, is based almost entirely on custom user events um, that are you know handled in the event structure. And we use some neat aspects of the user event handling subsystem in LabVIEW um, to sort of wrap it all up in, in a nice API and 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 pass information back and forth. And we think it's a fairly unique design. And so I was doing a presentation at the CLA Summit about how JKI solves the interprocess communication problem. Other people use queues. You know, you could use local or global variables. You could use functional globals. There are a thousand different ways to solve this problem. Ours uses user events. And so I was sort of presenting that to the community of CLAs. The whole uh, interprocess framework is based on the fact that you bundle um, you know, you bundle the into the events registration several events, but actually you're not necessarily um, creating event cases for all those events, and only only for the ones you need. And therefore, um, that's that's what sort of brought out this this bug or this issue. Yeah, yeah exactly. There are a lot of neat things you can do. Um, a lot of people have not experimented with user events, and the sort of the way the register for events node works can be a little tricky and confusing, but uh, it turns out that you can create, you know, custom user events using the create new user event reference primitive or, or whatever it's called. Um, and you can bundle those together and then wire the entire bundle into a uh, an event registration node so that you don't have to wire in, you know, five or 10 or 30 individual event ref nums. You can just wire in the whole bundle. We thought at JKI that that was a cool sort of shorthand way to get a lot of functionality in a small amount of code, but it, it ended up having this consequence that, that we didn't realize, that many people didn't realize, and we were among them. So I actually, I personally, I actually made the statement later, um, coming back to JKI, that you know I would, I would even forego going to an iWeek if, if I could just go to the CLA Summit. It was pretty valuable, and it, it was fun because... The thing about NI Week is it's so big and there are so many people there that you only get to see um, sort of online, maybe in the forums or in the community, the forum communities, Lava and the NI forums and things like that. But you only get to see them, you know, for two or three days a year in Austin in August. And it, it's so hectic and the crowds are so big and there are so many presentations to go to. One neat advantage of the CLA summit, uh, I didn't go last year. This is my first summit that I'd gone to. Uh, one huge advantage is that it sort of is slower and the crowd is a lot smaller. There are only maybe 50 people there, um, 50 CLAs, and then maybe 10 or 15 NI people involved. But it was a lot slower and smaller, and so there was a lot more opportunity to sort of connect with people, both personally and in a technical way. And uh, you actually uh, put a post on the JKI blog about this called Five Reasons You Shouldn't Miss the CLA Summit Next Year. I have it, I pulled it up here. Say, other other CLAs will explain LabVIEW bugs to you. Bugs is an ironic quote. 
<laughs> well, the, that refers to the the surprise event structure non timeout issue. Um, and in the blog post, there's actually a, a link to the lava discussion. I, my my initial take on it in the moment was that it was a bug, which is a reaction I would still stand by because the behavior clearly violated what I think were pretty reasonable expectations that I had developed about the way LabVIEW works as a language. But after a lot more discussion and some more explanation from different NI engineers, I, you know, I've I've sort of tempered my my opinion on that. And so now I just put bugs in quotes because that was what it felt like to me at first. Number two on your list, you have and I will uh, ask you what you think. Yeah, this one was one aspect of the summit that I didn't really expect that was really cool. And I say in the blog post, it's no secret that sometimes CLAs feel like NI doesn't get it. Uh, with respect to advanced developers. And I don't mean that as a, as a dig at NI, but but the fact is that anyone out there who's a CLA or even a CLD, and maybe even some people who aren't certified at all, I, sometimes it's hard to feel like the feedback or the criticism you have about LabVIEW or about NI's products gets to the right people all the time. And without taking a position on whether or not that's true, I can tell you that at the CLA Summit, there were a lot of really interested LabVIEW R&D and LabVIEW product marketing and LabVIEW product management and even, you know, executive level uh, individuals who were there specifically because they valued what was going on and they wanted to get feedback. And that was a really cool thing to see. Yeah. And um, well, I guess I, I'm going to jump to number five because it's kind of related. Uh, you might get to give a presentation to Dr. T and Jeff K. Yeah. Another Extraordinarily surprising thing was that um, Dr. Touchard and Jeff Kodosky both spent a lot of time at the CLA Summit, and I was not surprised to see them show up, but I was surprised that they spent as much time as they did. And I had a nice conversation with Dr. T uh, about some uh, NI marketing, uh, you know, marketing data and sort of market research that they've done. And um, I did not get a chance to talk to Jeff. I don't know if if he sat in on my presentation. I don't know what his opinion on the on the bug would be. Um, in fact, he probably wasn't there or we would have asked him. But in general, they re were really there a lot of the time. And it was really cool to see them engaging the CLA community like that. And uh, just so people who don't know who uh, Dr. T is, he's the president and CEO and co-founder of National Instruments. Um, and Jeff K is is has the title of being the, the father of LabVIEW because he basically invented LabVIEW, which made, gives us all jobs, <laughs> nine to five jobs. Um, gives us a podcast. <laughs> and a podcast. Let's see, going through your list, uh, number three, you'll confirm uh, that you're not an idiot. One common thing that I think everyone will relate to as a serious software developer is that you spend a lot of your life feeling like you're not very good at what you do because the problems you're solving are sort of by definition hard. Um, if they weren't hard, there would all be a, already be a library or a or a you know VI package or something out there to solve them already, or your organization would already have a reuse library for them. And so, the fact that your job is hard just means that you're solving hard problems. And one of the really cool aspects of the CLA summit was that we were there to talk about this sort of very canonical issue of interprocess communication. I have two loops or three loops or 10 loops. How do I pass information between them? And it was really interesting to see all these other, you know, talented, very skilled people with very deep backgrounds in software engineering and lab view and all kinds of disciplines, all struggling with exactly the same problems and solving them in very different ways that sort of reflect 
uh, the, their particular needs in whatever the work they do day to day is. But it's sort of edifying to see that because that means that when I'm sitting at my desk banging my head on it because my event structure isn't timing out, I'm probably not the only person in the world that's confronting this issue. And there isn't sort of a, a cookbook recipe to go to. It's just that interprocess communication is kind of is kind of tricky. And as a sort of ecosystem, you know, all the LabVIEW developers in the world haven't settled on a, on a good solution to it yet. And so it's it's nice to see that that other people struggle. Uh, and finally, uh, you have uh, you'll get to talk with people you normally only see. This gets to what I mentioned earlier about the CLA Summit being sort of a smaller, more intimate place. Um, I, my little heading there is not perhaps the most clever thing I've ever written. But <laughs> what I wanted to draw what I wanted to draw attention to was that at NI Week, you see all these people and maybe you end up Facebook friends with them or you you say, "Ooh, let's connect on LinkedIn or you use your little your little bump app on your iPhone to exchange mobile phone numbers so you can text each other snarky comments during the NI Week keynotes. Um <laughs> But but other than is that, that is that, a, is that a, a sneak peek into what's going on at an I week? That's that's completely hypothetical, and I I made it up. I I have no further no further comment on the advice of my lawyer. Um, but yeah, you know, it, the CLA summit was really cool because I actually got to sit down with some of these CLAs that um that normally sort of meet in passing or you maybe you know have a beer with at an I week, but you don't get to sit down and have a really technical talk, and it was nice to do that. Yeah, it seemed like uh, even after the presentations were over, uh, people just kept talking about this, the topics of the presentation and other other architectural issues as well. Exactly. Is that you clicking over there? Sorry, that's me. Yeah. I had to let the cat out of the closet. If you heard banging in the background <laughs> the last few minutes, in fact, go ahead and put this in the podcast. If you heard background in the or uh, banging around in the background in the last couple minutes, it's because my cat was trapped in my office closet. How how far back does does your career with LabVIEW go? When, when did you actually get started, and how did you get started? I got started with LabVIEW. Uh, the same way a lot of people do, I've found, which is that someone handed me a box with the LabVIEW logo on it and said, here, figure this out. You've been listening to Ben's podcast. I, I have. Yeah. And actually, that really resonated with me. Ben, if you're listening, um, you and I have sort of similar stories that way. I was in graduate school at Iowa State in uh, the mechatronics and robotics laboratory there run by Dr. Greg Lukey. I was actually a teaching assistant for a brand new and I, th I think I have this right. I, I forget if it was this course or a different one, but I think it was this one. A brand new mechatronics course that they were rolling out. This would have been fall of either 98 or 99. And um, I was tapped to teach this lab. And I was like, OK, that sounds good. You know, what do I have to do? And it was um, something we were doing for the first time. So the lab syllabus was was pretty sketchy and, and not really complete. And we were going to be doing some data acquisition and control, probably build some PID loops. I don't know, write some numbers to a file or something. And what are we going to do that with? Well, he handed, he, as I remember, he literally handed me the LabVIEW 4 box and said, we're using this. And I said, what's this? And he said something to the effect of, I don't know, but I guess you're going to have to figure it out. Ben described in his podcast interview, described a stack of, you know, 25, three and a half inch floppies. I actually don't remember that. Maybe it was already installed on all the machines because one of the techs had done it. I forget. But be that as it may, it was either LabVIEW 4 or 4.1. I had to teach a, a lab course in it. So one of the lab managers who apparently had done a little bit of LabVIEW and so was sort of known as the guy who knew how to make the wires, sat me down for a couple hours and sort of walked me through 
how to build a VI. I, I don't remember a single specific thing that he taught me, nor do I exactly remember what we used LabVIEW for in the class. Although I remember, I remember working with some students who didn't understand the while loop very well. So I remember teaching someone about that. Um, the fact that it always iterates at least once. Yeah. Yeah. They probably, they probably, <laughs> it might've been that they probably had their, you know, their indicators outside the loop or something. And then we're wondering why they didn't update, you know, classic problems like that. And so I, I bumbled and, and muddled and stumbled through this class and um, came out of graduate school um, with a background in control theory, thought I was going to be a PLC programmer and um, ended up getting a job with uh, a company in California who later became a National Instruments Alliance company that was doing custom automation systems for the semiconductor industry, particularly gas delivery. The plan was for me to become a PLC programmer, but they had a LabVIEW project that they Ouch. needed me to work on. PLCs. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think all's well that ends well, you know. <laughs> so they hired me because I had a line at the bottom of my resume that said, well, I had a resume that said, blah, 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 PLC, blah, 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 control theory, automation, something, something. Oh, by the way, lab view. It was down there. It was in the paragraph with like computing proficiencies. And it, it was like, you know, Microsoft Office and MATLAB and Mathematica and Lotus Notes or whatever I thought I was, whatever, you know, every program I had touched that you stuff in your resume in grad school. And one of those was lab view because because I had touched LabVIEW at some point. So that made me an expert as far as someone reading my resume knew. And so they hired me to sort of clean up on this LabVIEW project that, that they were in the middle of and then maybe then transition into PLC development. And then that was followed by another LabVIEW project and another LabVIEW project and another. And after a little while, we just gave up looking for PLC projects and became a LabVIEW company. That was how I ended up doing LabVIEW professionally in an alliance company. After that, I consulted independently for a while, and now I work for JKI. You and I crossed paths as well along the way. You, this, is, well, this was before you started working for JKI, and this is kind of how I met you, is right. the fact that you were working on a project and uh, you had to actually leave the company and, and do something else. And then um, instead of leaving the customer hanging, you, we decided to do this transition where the project would be handed off to JKI. When we did the the handoff meeting, or actually, I wasn't there. To be fair, it was it was uh, it was Jim and Philippe. It was Jim and Philippe from our company. So, and I guess they were doing the interview and understanding how the code works. And there were several questions about you know where's documentation in the code. What was your exact response to that? So I have to I have to say this specific moment that Philippe likes to bring up and and anybody who goes to NI week can ask either of us for this story because we both like telling it but I don't remember it exactly the same way everyone else does but what I am accused of saying is that I don't comment my code because I think I write it so well that it documents itself <laughs> it's it's something it's something along those lines and what it amounted to basically was I use unbundled by name and therefore, I don't need to comment my code. I, I honestly, if I remembered saying that, I would admit it. I may have said it. I don't specifically remember it, but that was pretty terrible code, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Looking back now, that was pretty terrible code. And actually, this uh, maybe this will resonate with people, too. That was a very long project. It was a situation which happens to a lot of developers, not just in LabVIEW, but where I was really thrown in over my head. 
and had to make this this had to build this giant not giant but very large application um that did automated automated testing of semiconductor gas delivery panels from scratch and it was by far the largest application i'd ever done and i i was thrown in the deep end all by myself and i had no mentors or anything to sort of give me an architecture and so you could you could see if you if you knew the like where to look in the code you could see the evolution of my programming as I as I sort of dealt with larger and larger problems, like when the pro- when the project first started, I was in that phase of life when I was in like in love with global variables. And then at some point I discovered that I could build functional globals. And so then like I stopped using. So part of the program used globals and then a whole other part used functional globals. And then at some point I discovered references. And so I basically control, then control references, control references. And so I started rather than using controls and indicators for everything, I started basically doing everything by reference. And, and Michael, you've seen the code. I mean, you can attest. I did everything by reference. And then well, I, wondered, I mean, uh, why not? Yeah, okay, exactly. Because it, <laughs> why not? It was like, it's the classic, you know, wow, this is a pretty good hammer. Now everything looks like a nail. There were some other evolutions that took place too. I forget what they were, but I used to have like four or five phases in my head. Of well, like, the, the interesting was one was where you had um, control references inside of functional globals. That was kind of cool. Oh, did I do that? I don't even remember that one. I don't know. I guess it was kind of to reuse the references or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, <laughs> it was. I'm sure it was clever at the time, and it, um, and I'm sure it solved some local problem. Yeah, but I mean, but in all honesty, I I have to give you credit that that was a pretty complicated application for someone who's new to LabVIEW because I I believe at that time you were that was kind of you were still learning it. I mean, you were still growing as a LabVIEW developer. That was my second. No, that was my that was my third major project. Yeah. as a LabVIEW developer. And it was by far the largest, like major is kind of in quotes. It was probably the first truly major project. Everyone's got skeletons in their closet. Yeah. And that's, that's the one. Um, yep. But I mean, it's, it's turned out fine. I mean, there's been some refactoring over the years, uh, but I mean, it's just, just to understand the enormity of the project. It's just so enormous that we can't, we can't get rid of your old code. <laughs> we have, <laughs> exactly. We, have we still haven't it. refactored it all the way. Now, I know that you worked on somehow combining LabVIEW and Popcorn with Twitter. And uh, I know that sounds kind of strange, but considering that it, you created, uh, I believe you created a video that went viral. I did. I, I'm one of those people that has enjoyed 15 minutes of at least minor internet fame in my lifetime. Um, this is a year ago now. Um, a friend of mine and I here in North Carolina, discovered an online contest from a gourmet popcorn company in Wisconsin. And they were running this contest. Um, Show us your most creative way to pop America's favorite snack, being popcorn. And so the, the way the contest worked was you were supposed to make a video of some creative way to pop popcorn and post it on their Facebook page. And then whoever's video got the most likes over the course of the contest would win popcorn, right? And um, so my buddy Dave and I, we're Skyping each other and we were like, well, okay, how are we going to win this? And we came up with this idea to pop popcorn using Twitter. Long story short, over the course of really only about two days, because I was on travel for work and, and we had trouble getting our schedules linked up and there wasn't much time to finish the contest. We built a Lego Mindstorms powered robot uh, that ran on LabVIEW and it listens on Twitter for tweets that have the word popcorn in them and every time it you know discovers one it 
pops uh, it, it, it dispenses a little bit of popcorn into an air popper and then when the popper's full it turns on the air and and it pops popcorn and we thought this was pretty cool we made a little video of it threw it up on their facebook page and we ended up winning the contest which was kind of neat not only did we win the contest the video got picked up by mashable one of the big social media networking sites who else did it get picked up by uh, Mashable and Engadget. It got picked up by Engadget, both on Super Bowl Sunday, actually. From there, it went really big. Tweets everywhere with the word popcorn in them. We did, you know, we didn't do a million views. I think we did over 25,000, which is which is no slouch. Um, the popcorn company saw a several percent increase in their sales that month that they attributed to the video. Uh, and I ended up inviting me to set up the machine on the floor at NI Week in 2010 and to do a presentation about how I built it and um, how we made it a success and all that. And so that was a really cool experience. And it sort of continues to this day. People ask me about it. I'm sort of the popcorn guy. Yeah. So the cool thing about that is it kind of combined um, several different elements in one. For example, there's the NXT Mindstorm element of it. There's also uh, the fact that you were using the JKI State Machine, which is, you know, promoting, you know, one of our toolkits. So there's Twitter, which is another, anything with the word Twitter in it is, is pretty popular. Um, so you combined all those things into, into one, I think was kind of cool and helped sort of promote JKI and, um, and yourself and, and LabVIEW and a whole bunch of other things. Right, right. It was a good illustration. And this is something that I talk about in the, in the presentation I do about it, of really the benefit of being active and involved in online communities the Twitter, for instance, the Twitter code that I used, I didn't write. I stole that off Lava. Someone had posted a, an example there, which was actually an evolution of an example posted on the NI forums by Christian Lowe. And so I was able to incorporate that code into my into my program and within just minutes have the, the Twitter part working. And then because I had the Mindstorm set laying around, which I won at NI Week a few years ago, I knew that I'd be able to use that as a motor controller. And I absolutely... I had absolute confidence that I'd be able to control that from LabVIEW. So I had these things in my head right away, and I knew that I could stitch them together. But the reason I the reason I knew that is sort of because I hang out on the forums and talk to people and read threads. And so I knew a little bit about Mindstorms, even though I'm not a professional Mindstorms guy. And I knew that there was some Twitter code out there, and I knew I had the JKI State Machine template, which, I, you know, it's a coincidence that I happened to work for JKI. That could have been anybody's state machine template. And so we were able to stitch together really quickly, make the video, upload it, and then sort of get the word out to our friends on Twitter and Lava and the NI forums and, you know, email all our parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and make them go vote for it and really sort of stoke this network very quickly, which then is part of sort of the larger point that I like to make about how to use social media but more importantly, how to sort of build potential in social media so that you can activate it when you need to, if that doesn't sound too exploitive. You can uh, call upon the masses. Yeah, exactly. You can, <laughs> you can marshal your personal army to go <laughs> click a like button for you. You know, VI Shots probably has that power, right? If you, told, if you told people to go like something, you know, you could probably move the knee. Yeah, I don't know if we have power yet. <laughs> we have some followers. So... And, uh, you know, speaking of the JKI State Machine, which, you know, you spoke of that you use it um, for the popcorn tweets, why do, why do you think that's, that's so useful? Well, at the risk of, of making this sound like a commercial for JKI, <laughs> I think that 
I think why the JKI's date machine has resonated with people is basically because there is a lack of good templates available sort of in the community for LabVIEW. But I think the thing that really resonates is that it's a pretty good template. It's it's very easy to use. Um, it takes a couple approaches to things like using strings to drive the state machine rather than enums that are a little bit against the grain in terms of how things are traditionally done, but turn out to have a lot of good advantages. And I guess I would say that it succeeds because it's easy for people to try it out. It's sort of seductive. Once you start using it, you find that it actually is kind of fun and easy to use. And on top of that, then it's free. So, you know, you can feel free to spend your own time inventing your own wheel, or you can just use ours for free. Okay. So, um, I think that's, that's it for this interview. I, Justin, I'd like to thank you for, uh, for stopping by and visiting our VI shot studios. Well, actually, you're not, you're not in the studios, but I'm in my office in my home in Cary, North Carolina. So uh, again, thank you, Justin, for, for visiting. It has been my pleasure. Thank you. So thank you everyone for listening to this episode of the uh, VI shots podcast. If you want to leave feedback on this and future episodes of the, of the podcast, I encourage you to visit our website, vishots.com. We also have a telephone number, which so far nobody has called yet. But uh, if you want to call and leave a voicemail for our, any, any guests you've, that we've had in the past, we will actually bring the guests on again uh, in future episodes. So if, if there's a question that you wanted me to ask them that I didn't ask, um, please leave a voicemail and I'll play it back next time our guests are on the air. Uh, also, if you have any LabVIEW questions, feel free to post those through our email feedback at vishots.com or through the phone number, which is 888-788-5778. Thank you for listening and bye for now.